We've been going through the story of Joseph, and we're going to finish the story of Joseph today. That's right, we're all done. Some of you are just like, yes, finally, after all these weeks, we can get on to something else. Stop teaching and start preaching. Stop yearning and start learning. <laughs> uh, anyway, Joseph's story closes today. It'll be a brief message. We'll be out of here early so I can take my time to go over some of these thoughts. After Jacob dies, oh, we should read. I'm sorry. We should read. Let's read Genesis chapter 50, and then we'll pray, and then we'll get into the message. Genesis chapter 50. We'll read the whole chapter just to get the whole uh, context and the end of the story. And then we'll pray and we'll move into today's message. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for him, for such are the days required for those who are embalmed. And the Egyptians mourned for him seventy days. Now when the days of his mourning were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the hearing of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Behold, I am dying. In my grave, which I dug for myself in the land of Canaan, there you shall bury me. Now, therefore, please let me go up and bury my father, and I will come back. And Pharaoh said, Go up and bury your father as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the house of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's house, only their little ones, their flocks, and their herds, they left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great gathering. Then they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, and they mourned there with a great and very solemn lamentation. He observed seven days of mourning for his father, and when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning at this threshing floor of Atad, they said, This is a deep mourning of the Egyptians. Therefore, its name was called Abel Mizraim which is beyond the Jordan. So his sons did for him just as he had commanded them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite as property for a burial place. And after he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt, he and his brothers, and all who went up with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, Perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph, saying, Before your father died, he commanded, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. 
Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation. The children of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were also brought up on Joseph's knees. And Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the time that we've been able to spend to spend looking at your servant Joseph. Thank you for his faithfulness. Thank you that you have caused uh, for Moses to write this down so that we can be convicted, lifted up, encouraged by the truths found in this story. And so we pray this morning you would open our eyes to the truth of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Joseph's story closes. After Jacob dies... Joseph reassures his brothers. You'll notice in verse 15 of our scripture, Joseph's brothers finally think they might get what they deserve. Do you see that? It's not like they're afraid that something might happen and uh, there'll be a misunderstanding. No, they look at it and say, do you know what? We just might get exactly what we have coming to us now that our father has died. Joseph forgave them openly 17 years ago. 17 years prior to this, Joseph openly forgave them and wept. But times of change and trouble come, and they begin to flounder. Sounds like you and I, doesn't it? Maybe not you, certainly me. Times of trouble come. Long ago, we have dealt with our separation from God. We embraced and believed in Christ and the work that he had done long ago. And then something comes, some trouble comes, and we begin to flounder, begin to flop around and wonder, was it really dealt with? Is there still something going on? Were we actually forgiven? What do I do? I'm not sure. I have no assurance. And look at Joseph's reaction. It grieves Joseph to have to remind them of his forgiveness. And I think that it grieves the heart of the Savior when we get out our shovel and pick and dig up things that he dealt with so long ago. And we bring it before him again, and it grieves him. But also notice Joseph said, no. It's done. It's finished. And he deals kindly with them. Don't bring that up anymore. It's over. It's dealt with. No trouble that's going to come 
is going to change what has already taken place. I have forgiven you. And yet, we need to be reminded of this. Otherwise, the scriptures, I think, wouldn't talk about it. We need to be reminded of this, folks. When hard times come, we go back and we remember what it is that God in Christ did for us so long ago. And then look at their reaction. Seeing Joseph's grief, they fall before him in complete submission. We see that in verse 18. They come to where he is and they fall on their faces before him, recognizing that nothing had changed. Nothing had changed. They had committed an evil act, but nothing had changed in Joseph's heart. They were forgiven. And this is how we ought to be grateful to our Savior, Savior, I think. Nothing has changed. He's forgiven us. He's not going to say, I unforgive you and drag these things back into our lives. It's done. It's under the blood. And we ought to fall before him in complete submission again. I found a couple of poems that I thought might remind us of what this looks like. Joseph's grief. Go to dark Gethsemane, you who feel the tempter's power. Your Redeemer's conflict see. Watch with him one bitter hour. Turn not from his griefs away. Learn of Jesus Christ to pray. Lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget thine agony, lest I forget thy love for me, lead me to Calvary. You see these words? And we're reminded again, get back to the truth, who Jesus Christ is and what he did as he wept in the garden. Thinking of your sins and mine, dealt with, done. And then we get to the eternal truth that pours out of Joseph's heart. And we'll read this if you look in the scripture at uh, chapter 50 and verses 19 through 21. We'll read it again. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, listen to this, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph didn't have the text of Romans 8.28. It hadn't been written yet. That came in 1611. No, that's not true. Paul wrote it thousands of years later. Joseph didn't have the text of Romans 8.28, but he had the truth of it, didn't he? Look at Romans 8.28. It'll come up on the uh, projector here in a moment. Romans 8.28. Thinking of Joseph here, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Joseph didn't have this scripture to lean on, but he certainly had the truth of it. Isn't it sad 
Isn't it a tragedy that many of us who have the text of it don't have the truth of it? Joseph had the truth, not the text. We're able to have the text and yet not the truth of it. When we first began to look at the story of Joseph ages ago, when I was just young, Thanks. <clears throat> I brought up this passage in Genesis 50, 19 to 21, and I showed how it is the absolute climax of the book of Genesis. This is where it all pointed to the whole time. And I invited you to imagine, because I don't think it's ridiculous to do so, I invited you to imagine Jesus Christ saying these words. As for you, that means you and you and you and you and you and you. You meant evil against me, didn't we, as enemies of Christ? But God meant it for good, particularly the crucifixion. Think of all those surrounding him that meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. Why? In order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. We could stop there, but I want us to think about the next little bit here too. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. What makes you afraid today? We all have things that makes, make us afraid. Just, we might as well admit it. Things that make us worry about the future, things we're anxious about, things that we dread, things that uh, haven't happened, but we can surely imagine them happening. Things that make us afraid and in these words, something evil happened. God meant it for good. Therefore, do not be afraid. The good is accomplished. It is done. I will provide for you and your little ones. Are you afraid for your little ones? What a world they have to grow up in. What a mess. Who would want to bring children into a world like this? Do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. The heart of Christ through the words of Joseph, I think. The provision is ready. It's made. It's done. And there it is. Are we still afraid? Well, we are human. We do falter, but we ought not. There's no reason to be afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of that is bigger than the grace and mercy and provision of our Savior. We tend to be focused on the things we think about the most. And so we need to take some of these anxieties and set them aside and begin to focus on the provision that God has made, and think about that. The word anxious is an interesting word in the New Testament. It means to be double-minded, to be split in your thinking. You're thinking about one thing, but you're thinking about another thing. And to be single-minded is, is, is to be sound-minded. And we need to be single-minded when those anxieties creep up on us. We say, do you know what? Christ has made perfect provision. I do not need to be afraid. I'm going to be single-minded on him and his provision. After all, is not Joseph a type of Christ? 
I've put in your bulletins for those of you that have been interested. I listed how many? 28 types of Christ that I see in Joseph. Um, I went through a few other lists. I wanted to see if there was anything that I had missed as I went through. And um, some of the things on the list I thought probably were not worth adding. Um, Some folks said, well, Joseph wept. Well, Jesus wept. Well, we all weep, but that doesn't make us a type of Christ. (laughs) So there's some things that were like that that I thought, you know what, I'm not going to include these things. But there were some things that seemed to me God, 2,000 years before Christ, looking forward to the life of Christ and causing his book to be written by Moses included the details that pointed us clearly to the Savior. And we'll just, I'm not going to go through all the scriptures. If you look at, uh, yeah, we'll be done really early. So yeah, you're welcome. You don't have to listen to me too long. I listed the scriptures. I listed an Old Testament scripture. You'll see the chapter uh, 37 verse 2. But then when it came to a New Testament reference on how it referred to the person of Christ, if I thought I could find one, then I would put that in. So there can be kind of a devotional for you this week if you get a chance to go through some of these. Um, But I will go through them briefly for those of you that don't have it in front of you. Joseph was opposed and exposed, uh, opposed to, pardon me, and exposed evil. Remember Jacob said, go to your brothers, see what's going on. Joseph came back to his father and said, they're not doing a good job. Really not. And uh, when Jesus came, he exposed. He was opposed to the evil things men did, and he exposed them and said, look, here's what you're doing. You ought not to. Don't do it anymore. Joseph was hated for his words. Well, see that in Christ. Joseph was promised a remarkable future. Remember in the dreams? Glory is coming, Joseph. Just hang on. There's going to be some tough times in the meantime, but glory is coming. Joseph foretold of his future, Joseph, yeah, foretold of his future sovereignty. Remember he talked to his brothers? He said, someday I'm going to be a ruler. Joseph was sent by his father to his brothers. See that in the Christmas story. Joseph seeks out his brothers when he is sent. Joseph seeks the welfare or the best for his brothers. And in this, he was conspired against by his brothers, cast into a pit, taken out of the pit alive, sold for the price of a slave. Joseph's blood-sprinkled coat is presented to his father. Now, this one's a little bit more complicated, but if you get a chance to read um, the... um, in, in Leviticus, the scripture that I've given you there, God is giving a picture of the sacrifice for sin and how the blood of the animal is sprinkled. That's all chapter 37. In chapter 39, Joseph becomes a servant. Joseph is falsely accused. Joseph is cast into prison, though he was innocent. And Joseph suffered at the hands of the Gentiles. It wasn't his brothers that made him suffer and threw him to prison. It was Gentile nation that threw him to prison. Um, At this time in Jesus' life, the Jews didn't have the power to execute Jesus. So not having that power, they gave him over to the Roman authorities and was executed. Joseph was imprisoned and at a time encountered two other folks, one of whom uh, 
was redeemed and the other of whom was not. Joseph was put in prison, but God would not allow him to remain there because God's purpose for Joseph was not yet fulfilled. Joseph warned of coming danger. Joseph is exalted and set over all Egypt. Joseph received from Pharaoh a new name. We looked at that at some length. Joseph alone, and that's important, that word alone, is now seen as dispersing bread to a perishing world. Joseph became a savior to all peoples who came to him. Joseph has had unlimited resources to meet the need of all the people. And then in chapter 42, Joseph was unknown and unrecognized by his brothers. We see that in the Jewish nation well, as well as the unbelieving world. Joseph made provision for his brethren while they were in a strange land. They weren't home yet, like we aren't home yet. And yet Christ has made provision for us in this temporarily strange land that we find ourselves in. And strange, stranger and stranger it seems to be becoming. I feel less at home here every day. And yet Christ's provision for us is unlimited. And I've listed a whole bunch of verses for that. Um, I could have listed, I, I was almost tempted to, to write down the book of Ephesians. <laughs> but I wrote down three references from the book of Ephesians. But um, really the book of Ephesians lays out for us the unlimited treasure we have in Christ. And so my hope and my prayer is that this journey that we've taken together through the life of Joseph has been encouraging to you. I hope that God by his spirit has illuminated his word to see what he is accomplishing in the world, beginning there in Joseph, but seeing how it pointed to the person of Christ and his work on the cross. Thanks for your patience. It's been a long go. I don't know how many weeks it's been, many. And I'm, I was thrilled the whole time going through it. Truly was. Um, I learned more than I taught. Um, and I think that's God's way of blessing a person that's in, in the Word. So I encourage you to get in it too and read it and study it. I'm not sure where I'm going next, but um, we'll look forward to what, has, what God has for us. I want to encourage you to be in the Word. There's no question when we look at this story that this is not a story written by the mind of man. There's no man, I don't care how brilliant he is, that looks 2,000 years in the future and writes perfect pictures of what is to come. That cannot be done. I challenge you to look 200 years into the future and write some story that will depict perfectly the life of some person that's going to be born not going to happen. And yet, we have here the very words of God. And we ought to be in the word. And we ought to be studying. We ought to be digging. Because in these words, we have life. Let's pray.